Welcome back to the program. It's great to be with you. Let's begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy God, I thank you and praise you for great saints like St. Francis de Sales. And we ask for your intercession, St. Francis. Pray for us. Pray for all of those who are seeking to grow in a devout life. Lord, we do love you, and we want to love you more. We don't want to settle for less in how we live. We want to put the most important things first. And so, Lord, just give us the grace to recognize anything that gets in the way, and just give us the grace to let those obstacles be removed. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. So, Mary Grace, uh, it's great to be with you. Thanks for, again, taking time to be with me today. Um, so just for folks who are not that familiar with you, you're my oldest daughter, 22 years old. Wait a minute. Hey, 20, yep. 22. 22 years old. That's right. 23 this year, uh, but not until September. And um, 22 years old. And you are, you, you spent two years doing mission work and now you still do mission work, but not full-time you're in school full-time. So what's that like being in college now, finally, after being out of high school for a couple of years with all this mission stuff, now you're in school full-time. What's that like? It's great. I think taking a break for a few years was honestly a great idea because now I'm back in school and a bunch of my peers are actual freshmen and sophomores in uh, college. So I can tell they're still kind of worn down from not really having a break from school, but I'm there and I'm excited to learn. I'm asking questions and everyone's so quiet in class. Um, so I don't think some of them are excited about being in college, but I'm very excited to be there. Um, well, and I think that's part of what can happen is that when you go right from high school, right into college, there's sort of the, you're on the conveyor belt. And so the freshman year of college can just be like, oh, it's the 13th year of school mm -hmm. rather than it's something that requires a lot more ownership on the part of the, of the, well, the young adult at this point, they're 18 years old anyways. So yeah. to say, I'm going to own this, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this my, um, my, conscious decision to advance myself through college. Um, that's hard for a lot of, a lot of college freshmen who haven't, um, who, who maybe again, were, were feeling more like they were on the conveyor belt. It's just the next thing you did. Yeah. It's unfortunate, but my teachers are really awesome. A lot of them really love the Lord. Um, we're reading great books. It's really close to my house. Um, yeah. Well, and you know, Mary Grace, one of the things that um, care, uh, your mom, Carrie, and I um, were very attentive to is we want our kids to be in schools that will help advance their Catholic faith. And I think that we were naturally, um, our default setting was the way that we'll best help them um, advance in their Catholic faith, um, whether it was grade school, high school, and then college, was to be sure to send them to a good Catholic school. And um, I'm, I'm, that's our hope, actually, for Mary Catherine, who is at Franciscan University. And mm -hmm. uh, we can bring up a couple kind of cute stories uh, about <laughs> that. But um, you're not at a Catholic school, but you just said you're really enjoying the Christian faith of your teachers and how direct overt and, you know, how uh, clear it is that they believe. Oh yeah. It's great. Like one of my math teacher, he was a missionary in Russia for 10 years before he came back to teach as a professor. One of them, I'm in a small group that meets every week at his house. And I mean, it starts this week, um, but we're going through the book, live no lies about the devil the Flesh and the World by John Mark Comer. We're going through that book, meeting at his house. He loves the Lord. My sociology professor, he makes sure to include faith in the Bible. He just goes, well, I just love Jesus. So I'm going to talk about what I love and brings it up, even though it for sure makes, I think, some of the students uncomfortable. They're like, who is this guy? Um, but I love it. And yeah, it's really a blessing, especially it's funny, like I went to a Catholic high school and pretty sure not a ton of my teachers really loved the Lord. And 
even the environment of being in school there was it is kind of weird if you actually had a relationship with Jesus. Um, so yeah, I mean, all the kids are in Christian school too. So mm-hmm. right, well, and and that's the thing. It's like um, Carrie and I were just at the um, the gala for the Chesterton Academy, um, celebrating an, uh, their second year and raising funds for the ongoing growth of the Chesterton Academy. And um, it's, it's kind of cute. Uh, I had more than one uh, board member just thank me for all that I do to help promote um, the Chesterton Academy. And I do very strongly promote it um, for Catholics who are in this Spokane area or who are moving here and they've got high schoolers to, to come and see because um, it is, it's the only Catholic high school that is really Catholic uh, in the area. Um, and yet our kids are at the Oaks classical Christian school. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there, we have reasons for that. And, and they were asking me one of the, um, one of the, uh, one of the spouses of a board member was saying, well, is it time, is it time for, uh, for, you know, my boys ninth and 10th grade to, to head to Chesterton. And I let them know that it's, it's an honest discussion. We have, we had it last year, we had it this year. And, um, and so we're asking our boys, you know, and we're, we're also discerning as parents, like what school is helping them to grow, to grow in character, to grow in uh, faith and yes, to grow in their Catholic faith. And it's, it's been such a blessing for us because you use the phrase, they love Jesus. And it is so utterly clear that the teachers where our kids are in school are, in love with the Lord Jesus and are in, have a really clear mind that it's part of their job to work with parents in forming these young men and women as disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's been a very powerful thing for us. Um, but it, it's funny because our Catholic, our kids Catholicism has grown immensely um, mm-hmm. at this Christian school and in ways that would be different than if they were at a Catholic school, because they are often asked to explain their faith. They're often asked to get clear about their faith. They're often asked to engage in a, in a work of whether it's catechesis or apologetics or are of um, witness to give testimony to the richness of the faith. All of those modes of communication just maybe wouldn't happen quite so um, often or so directly if they were in a Catholic school where everyone else was Catholic. So. Yeah. I think that that, again, these are things that parents have to discern for themselves, um, like what the right path is for their kids. But um, we love the Oaks for our kids for right now. And we love uh, the uh, Chesterton Academy and St. Charles, which we regularly, I mean, on a weekly basis, I'm telling at least one family that's moving in the area um, to go, please go check out St. Charles because it's now a classical Catholic grade school and the Chesterton Academy. And it, it's, there's just so many wonderful things happening in those schools as well. Yeah. So, so Mary Grace, you mentioned that uh, in your, in your classes, you're reading some great books. Um, oh. And finally, finally, <laughs> The book, one of the most, one of the more important books in my own life, interestingly, is not a book of theology directly. It's not a book of spirituality directly. And uh, it's, you know, it doesn't quote the Bible. It's a work of fiction. It's the Lord of the Rings. And do you remember at all my recommendation to you to read the Lord of the Rings? Oh, every... Every time we talk about reading, yeah, it's just a burden I've been carrying around. And finally, yes. finally had it released. I was never in a rush to read it. I figured I have my life, I'll get to it. And I got to it. So, yeah. so I'm, I'm guessing that many, many people listening to the program have heard of Lord of the Rings or at least are familiar with the movies, J.R.R. Tolkien, um, this amazing trilogy, though he gets triggered by that. He doesn't call it a trilogy. Um, he considers it one book that is broken up into six books. There's six books, but each, you know, the way that it ends up getting printed is in the form of a trilogy. And, mm-hmm. um, and so 
it you know tells the story of these nine companions, but focused on this hobbit named Frodo, who has a journey and a, a mission thrust upon him associated with this ring of power that he has to. Um, uh, he has to. He is um, being um, impelled to uh, say yes to this call to uh, bring the ring to a place where it can be destroyed, which is in the heart of the enemy's stronghold. And so um, it, you know, all that by itself just sounds like, well, it's just sort of like any fantasy book, but now that you've read, and, and I think you've read through the first of the books of the trilogy, the fellowship of the ring. Yep. Uh, do you, do you have a better insight into why I was so fired up about this trilogy and why I wanted you to read it? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's crazy. I was underlining everything. <laughs> and yeah, I think anyone could read the book, but if you know the Lord, there's just things are jumping off the page. And I'm like, I don't know if this man decided to put all this stuff in here. Like, is this really what he meant by writing this? Because there's so much truth that he just like slips in just about like the human nature of people and the way that people operate that maybe aren't even directly about God. Um, There's definitely quotes that are about like sin and mission and power and goodness and friendship and all that. But I especially love the quotes that just talk about like what it is to be human and like being hungry and you're mad and you don't want to talk to anyone. So you're like in a bad mood or just the way that he describes interactions with people, just the very normal everyday things. I'm like, you have such a good grasp on human nature, similar to C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they were in the same little group, right? The Inklings. Oh, yeah. yeah. So uh-huh. they, can you imagine being part of that group? They're hanging around the fireplace and having talks. That'd be pretty awesome. Yeah. There's the C.S. Lewis quote. Uh, there'd be the two friends are pleased to join or are pleased to be joined by a third who is of equal status you would definitely feel unequal status. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't quite remember that one, but it sounds good. <laughs> well, I do you know that um, I'm trying to figure out who said this, but um, that it was widely considered that J.R.R. Tolkien and G.K. Chesterton um, were able to describe um, like landscapes uh, in prose um, uh, and just sort of settings in prose, mm-hmm. um, as well as anyone in the English language. Um, I don't know if you've read much of GK Chesterton, um, you know, the father Brown mysteries, mm-hmm. but yes. you know that, and then he has several other fiction books, but, um, when you read the way that he, uh, and J.R. Tolkien, Tolkien in, in the Lord of the Rings describes scenes, it, it's like, how can you keep coming up with new ways, fresh ways <laughs> of describing what is just an ordinary thing? It, it really is astounding. So the, the richness of just reading it, like enjoying how the English language can draw you into a scene is all by itself very, very compelling and beautiful. Yeah. And I think that's probably a reflection of their relationship with God because I think it's easy to think, I mean, mean, God is complex, but he's a lot more simple than we make it out to be. And if you have the eyes to see his glory revealed through ordinary things, he's everywhere. So I think they definitely had a really clear grasp on that because you're like, oh my gosh, it sounds like the, the best thing in the world to just have a piece of bread at a table with your friend. Like, that's where I want to be right now. (laughs) Well, and then then he drops things in. So jumping into the Fellowship of the Ring a little bit. This is Tom Carnum with Mary Grace, my oldest daughter, and we're enjoying a little conversation here about the Lord of the Rings, um, written by J.R.R. Tolkien. And um, uh, just the, the the importance of reading beautiful literature, 
One of the ways that you encounter beauty is by reading beautiful books. One of the ways that you improve your capacity to think and reflect is by reading books that are, are profound and reflective all by themselves. And so I consider Lord of the Rings so, um, again, um, so impacting at a human level, like just in terms of human formation, um, that uh, it, it's, again, it's one of those books that even apart from the, the rich theological themes that can be drawn out, you mentioned it, Mary Grace, just at the very human level. It's a very humanizing book. It, 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 it builds up your own humanity, your sensitivities, your sensibilities. Uh, so there's a scene in there at it's towards the beginning when um, Frodo and Sam um, take off with uh, Peregrine. Uh, I think it's just Peregrine, uh, Pippin. Um, and they're heading to go meet up with uh, their other two companions um, at the at the place when Frodo's leaving home. And mm -hmm. they're down at night and they're kind of hiding on the path and they hear the elves come. And, and so the elves come and they greet them and they sit together um, for an evening and he had some bread. Sam had some bread at that point or some food. And he said, um, throughout the remainder of the journey, there was, this was the like most memorable or richest meal that he had. Mm. And it was mm -hmm. anticipating like, and, and now that, you know, having read the book, how many times knowing the journey he was going to be on, um, that there was this kind of little drop in reference to the fact that, um, that that simple encounter with the elves at night for the first time left this enduring impression on him that remained throughout the remainder of this journey, which was going to take him to, you know, to the depths of dark places and, and the heights of, of amazing displays. But that encounter was life-changing. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense because if we think about, I think about this sometimes, people have asked, if you could go back and relive this day, would you go back and relive it? And I say no, because the way I remember it in my mind is from the perspective of where I was back then. And I know if I went back and experienced something that I thought was really good in the perspective that I have now, it might not be as good because I know like, how much I've grown since then, like everything that has happened. So probably from their perspective, their first meal was the best one because it was in relation to their entire life before. And it was the first one. So of course it was so impactful, even though they probably had better tasting meals or better like conversations in relation. They're like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to us. Mm -hmm. that, does that make sense? Yeah, I like it. That's actually a great way of putting it. Um, you actually put it way better than I did. Yeah, well done. Um, all right, we're up against a break, Mary Grace. When we come back, I want to pick up on that theme because I had a conversation with John Mark about Martin Luther. This question was, Dad, would it have been better if Martin Luther never existed? How about John that? John Mark? That's an interesting question. Yeah, John Mark said that. All, all right, right, I just asked you that. On the phone. Oh, well, um, well we're going to talk about it on the radio now, okay? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> back in a minute with Sound Insight. Welcome back to I the did. welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you today, and I'm with my daughter Mary Grace. And she was stunned into sounds. Did we talk about this on the on the phone, Mary Grace? I talked about this with you on the phone like 20 minutes ago. I said, "Would it be better if he hadn't existed?" Because oh, that was you. That wasn't that wasn't John Mark. John Mark uh, asked me about okay Martin Luther. I he asked me about Martin Luther last night. So I think I'm I'm. Mixing the mixing two. together the two different conversations. Um, yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Well, uh, what was my answer? Um, I'll tell you my answer. Would it be, oh, so the question was, it would be better if uh, Martin Luther never existed or that he went and did what he did in terms of the church, you know, walking the path that it walked down. Right. So there are, so I guess I'd say it this way. There are some who would refer to the, you know, the Reformation um, as a, just as a disaster for Christianity, because you take a look at all of the, the different denominations and the ruptures in, in the um, unity of faith that occurred. 
Um, at the same time, if it wasn't for Luther, would there really be an Ignatius, a Philip Neri, a John of the Cross, a Teresa of Avila? You think of all of these incredible, uh, uh, Robert Bellarmine, incredible saints, doctors of the church, amazing, amazing saints that, that literally arose um, and found uh, in, a, in a very striking way their sense of mission in relationship to uh, the Protestant Reformation. So mm-hmm. it was it was the it was the resistance. It was the it was the conflict. It was the challenge against the Catholic faith that um, moved some of these incredible saints to foster the reform that was deeply required in the Catholic Church at that time. So, so maybe that's maybe my siblings and I. It is a smaller picture of. The Reformation is me going on mission and them going to Christian school because now we're all learning how to we're all learning how to defend the faith and in that process coming to love it more. Without question, I've had conversations with Ariana, John Mark, John Luke, the three that are in high school, um, about the Catholic faith that never would have come up had they not been challenged to um, to state their faith or to um, respond to questions about their faith or to defend their faith um, in, in the school where they're at. So yeah, I think everyone kind of has a fiery spirit about them in relation to the Catholic faith now. Like when we played that card game, the Protestant card game, and then the Catholic card game, it was all like, who can answer the questions the fastest? And <laughs> Everyone's very, everyone's pretty quick to jump on me when I come home. They're like, Mary Grace, do you go to mass? Do you go to your Protestant church? I'm like, I go to mass, but they're pretty, they're pretty quick. Well, and uh, we, we kind of have touched this, this topic a little bit before, but um, you have been brought into contact with some of the riches of our Catholic tradition and then been a herald for those resources, for those books. Um, into the hands of, again, very committed uh, disciples of Jesus Christ who weren't brought up Catholic um, that, you know, you live with or you go to church with. And so the, the most recent one, and we've jumped ahead, we, we've gone way ahead away from uh, the Lord of the Rings. I want to come back to that. But uh, just as we're on this theme, um, when the Feast of St. Francis de Sales came up, I don't know if you had sent in the text like, hey, happy Feast of St. Francis de Sales. I did because it was in my magnificat okay and then i looked him up and then i was like this guy's pretty sick <laughs> and then yeah. <laughs> yeah by the way folks sick means good okay that's a that's a good one okay that's a uh, right. i didn't realize I said that <laughs> yeah you gotta realize context here mary grace you're 22 so i said oh you gotta read introduction to the devout life and um, I think I ordered copies or you ordered copy or whatever i said i'm gonna buy anybody who wants a copy a copy of it and then you got it right mm-hmm you got it. You just held it up. I see it. Yeah. Um, so what's that been like? Oh, amazing. It's like a uh, Baltazar. Yeah. That's how rich it is. I love the short chapters, the simple language, and it's super intense. And if I've learned anything in the past two weeks, it's that <laughs> I am so weak. <laughs> And I have so many flaws from, yeah, the way he describes holiness and sacrifice and our mission and the things that are important and eternity. I'm like, oh my gosh, I think about myself so much, (laughs) so much more than I thought I did. So that's actually a theme that is coming into prominence um, in our home. Um, with your mom, with Carrie and me, um, we have been like, each of us has, um, uh, the two of us have like been pursuing this, whatever the theme the Lord has for us in, in this 2022. And for me, the theme was ascent that the ascent of Mount Carmel by St. John of the cross, trust me, when you're done reading introduction to the devout life, (laughs) you want to get beat up a little bit, read the ascent of Mount Carmel. It is so humbling 
it is so uh, and it's about the dark night the dark night means it's a night of purgation so my theme for 2022 is about being purged being um uh being cleansed and purified and um, i was drawn to read the ascent of mount carmel as part of that purging part of that movement towards the promised land you know, going through the desert and um the one of the biggest ahas um, is was was or still is um, a, a new insight into what Mother Teresa meant when she said that the material prosperity of the Western world is a worse condition than that of the people, the dying people who have been um, who have been um, rejected by their own families that we pick up on the street. Mm -hmm. that they are in a better spiritual condition than those who live in the abundance and prosperity of the Western world. By and, far. Right. And well, and it didn't make any, it, you know, on the one hand, yeah, I can at a surface level say, I get it. Yeah. We're not spiritually poor. They're spiritually poor. And that gets manifested through their physical poverty. And so they're more open to God. And so that, isn't that what it's all about? Well, it, it takes someone like St. Francis de Sales in the introduction to the devout life or St. John of the cross in the ascent of Mount Carmel to really, 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 really say, do you know how attached you are to this world? Do you know how attached you are to things that just have no importance in the kingdom of God or ultimate importance that you spend your time thinking, desiring, chasing, and uh, permitting to have such a large place in your heart, your mind, in your life, and in your family's life, these are things that are holding you back from spiritual maturity. And that has been the, like the, all right, Lord, that's a pretty bright spotlight on my life right now. I please don't make it too much more intense. <laughs> so, so that's been my experience of, of reading the ascent of Mount Carmel. So, uh, but you, you want to, uh, did you open the book up to something? Yeah, I opened up to the meditation on death, and it says, it basically has you imagine yourself on your deathbed, and it says, consider then that the world, like your world, uh, your life on earth is basically at an end. Everything will then be reversed. All pleasures, vanities, worldly joys, and vain attachments will then appear as mere phantoms and vapors. Woe is me, for what delusive trifles have I offended my God? Then will you discover that you have forsaken God for nothing. On the other hand, how beautiful and desirable will good works and devotion then appear? Why have you not followed on that holy and blessed road? Truly at that hour, sins which before seemed as trifles will wax great as the mountains, and how faint, how weak will your devotion then appear? It just like pretty much goes on like that for... A couple pages but it really makes you rethink <laughs> the things that you think about and uh the things you consider important every time i read this i'm like i'm just going to become a nun and be a hermit and go die a martyr i like really make great resolutions in my mind and then i get frustrated because my roommates don't do their dishes and then i'm like i i'm a failure <laughs> But then I think it would be a greater sacrifice. It might be easier for me to just like quit here and go like live a holy life, die a martyr. But maybe what the Lord has called me to is to pick up a bigger cross of doing the everyday life here that feels maybe unimportant, but the small sacrifices do matter, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. And it's, um, I smile at it because, you know, those are the two, those are really the two positions go all in and just push all the way out to maximum commitment expressed in life, like your life choice, or how do I go to the maximum of devotion in the everyday, in the little things, in the moment by moment, like I'm going to love greatly in little things, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's not easy. That is so hard when um, you're immersed in things that will 
um, distract you, disperse you, and divert you. The, those are the three enemies of the spiritual life, according to um, St. Bonaventure. Diversion, distraction, and dispersion. Um, mm. I could go further into it, but it's yeah. uh, um, it, like dispersion means what? You, you want to focus on something like fasting. Do you know how hard, how hard it is to fast when all of a sudden you're also trying to pay attention to getting your homework done and you've got to go out and get ready to do ministry work and you're spending time talking to your friends and you're trying to work out. And, and, and it's like, wait a minute, in order for me to fast well, I need to put a tremendous amount of focus and attention and energy on it or I'm going to fail. Yeah. And so that's dispersion becomes such an enemy to good intentions, to devout resolutions, to um, holy uh, you know, to a holy uh, uh, thought about how I'm going to live my life. Yeah. And what you said, something you said made me think of, I think St. Thomas Aquinas. Mm, actually, I'm not sure who says this. Matt Frad said it on his show, but uh, there was a monk or a brother, maybe a Franciscan who said, uh, people in Vegas who sin, that's like child's play. Like that's, child child sinning uh at the monastery that's like amateur sinning at the monastery we are experts at sinning which is like bitterness and just like thought patterns and, and pride uh, like being, yeah pride like being angry at your at your friends so it's like even in living in christian community and being part of youth group and worship and ministry and just so much is just conversation about God. It's like, man, the, the small little sneaky ways that we sin show up and you're like reading this book. I'm like, man, I got to get my act cleaned up. Thank you God for your mercy. (laughs) Well, and it's like um, this kind of book, the introduction to the devout life we're talking about right now, uh, Mary Grace, my daughter and I, um, it's a book that is, it's like, it, it's fundamental, right? It, it, it's not just a basics, even though it's an introduction to the devout life, you read it and you don't get through the first part of the book and you're like completely blown away or I'm completely blown away, but it is so filled with insightful principles and um, thoughtful meditations to cleanse the perspective and also leads to um, it always it always leads to action, right? So it's like, here's the here's the meditation. Here are the questions to ask yourself. Now here, what are you going to do about it? Like, what's your resolution? And yeah. I, I love that it it it's it's about taking it's about helping you actually grow. And and it's um, it's almost like a manual, right? It's almost like a it's like a really it's a it's a manual for taking action. Yeah, I do like that part like at the end of the meditations it says form a spiritual nosegay and a nosegay i had to look it up it's like a small bunch of flowers so at the end of every meditation you're supposed to go back and think through the things that stuck out to you and like hold on to them so that you can remember them throughout the day which i thought was really cool yeah well here's uh, that meditation you were talking about the fifth meditation um like you have that section called mm-hmm. affections and resolutions and mm-hmm. listen to this one, pray to God and throw yourself into his arms. <laughs> oh Lord, be thou my stay in that day of anguish. May that hour be blessed and favorable to me. If all the rest of my life be full of sadness and trial, you know, it's like, that is so cool. Like you did, that's yeah. like, you put that on your mirror, right? Yeah, that like that's just one like just one line out of one meditation in one chapter of that book uh, in the introduction to the devout life. And just just like who who says that pray to God and throw yourself into his arms. It's just beautiful. That's so beautiful. It's insane. And I'm having to be careful to not I'm like going around my house. I'm like, I need my roommates to all read this book so they can like understand God. I'm like, guys, we didn't know God before. (laughs) (laughs) So you actually have done that. You, you've brought the book to some, to some of your roommates. Well, we're up against a break. When we come back, I want to hear how have your roommates taken to St. Francis to sales, this, 
uh, this 18th century incredible saint, uh, 17th, 18th century incredible saint, and whose book is like speaking down through the centuries to not just Catholics, but Christian young adults in Newburgh, Oregon. Back in a minute with Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern with my daughter, Mary Grace. And Mary Grace, thanks again for being with me. And we're just chatting away here about a couple of books about the Lord of the Rings uh, by J.R. Tolkien and the Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales that um, you got as a gift. Uh, uh, shortly after his feast day, you brought him up. I said, you got to get this book. You got it. And now you not only have got it, it's impacting you, but it's impacting your household. What, what's that all about? Oh, Yeah. Well, I got this book. I expected it to be good based on what I read about Francis de Sales, read some of his quotes. Then I started reading it and wanted to read the whole thing, but it was too much. And I could only read a couple pages because it was so intense. Then, since then, anyone who will listen, I'll read out whatever page I'm on. I've been reading everyone the page about death, really getting them excited. I made many. Okay, you have to really stop cool. there for a second. <laughs> I'm reading the one about death and they're getting all real excited. It's just like, how does that even happen? Right? How does that even a thing? So, oh, yeah. I read it out loud and they're just kind of quiet and they're like, whoa, that's like the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, if they like that one meditation on death, you know what I'm going to recommend? Um, Preparation for death. Yes. St. Alphonsus, that's right. Yeah, that one will knock you around. That's a Lent yeah. book right there. So oh, yeah. yeah, this is a great book to get you ready for Lent. That book will really, can you imagine like a hundred pages of meditations like that just peeled away? It's pretty strong. Yeah. So um, are, were there any other quotes from the St. Francis de Sales uh, book that you want to share today or uh, any other thing that, that, you, that it has like led to in terms of fruit for your life? Um, I think we could look at the Fellowship of the Ring quotes since oh, yeah. we kind of hopped away from there. Okay, great. Yeah, so we'll go back to that. Um, so um, one of the things that, uh, so we, we were talking about Lord of the Rings and, and finally my daughter has come into the light. And, and you said something to me when you finally got around to it. You said, you know, dad, some books just have to, you know, come into your life at the right time and in the right way. And the right way was not going to be me insisting that you read it. Um, uh, even though I insisted a whole bunch of times, it, it wasn't the right time. And so it came through yeah. the back door of a class you're taking. And now you had to read the book. And yeah. I, I was so excited. I was so excited. Well, I knew it was going to be good. It wasn't like I didn't want to read it. I just hadn't gotten to it yet. Yeah. So, well, I, we have to start with the first one here. All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. Why is that so meaningful to me? Um, I don't know. Well, you had it. Didn't you have it as a, you had it on your wall, didn't you? Oh yeah, I did. I didn't even realize that that quote was from Lord of the Rings till I read the book. Cause that's a very common quote for Pacific Northwest campers and like hiker people. Oh really? It's like not, it's like a, if you look it up, it's a huge thing. And I don't think people really know it's from Lord of the Rings, but like not all who wander are lost. It's for people who just like are kind of like hippies and go hiking. So reading it here, it's kind of funny because my friends and I kind of make fun of it. Like, uh, like wanderlust is like a like people who just like need to travel, um, or like just need to be outside. But reading it here, it's like oh, it's like so beautiful and it's just amazing. But I totally forgot that I had that on my wall mm-hmm. in high school. That's so funny. So when you first, so it's referring to Aragorn and um, uh, in the first meeting of Aragorn with uh, Frodo and his three companions, Sam, Merry, and Pippin in the bar, the butter, uh, the, um, the, in the bar at Bree. Uh, mm-hmm. I uh, forget what it's called. Yeah. It's um, gosh, the dancing pony, the dancing pony. 
wow, that's impressive. Yeah. Uh, and, and then here he is in the kind of the corner of the bar watching what's going on. And then he ends up in the room. Um, that just that whole dialogue back and forth um, was so cool. Um, and it's describing him. All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost because he's just called a ranger and he's someone that's a bit sketchy because of how he's dressed in this ragged appearance. And then you come to find out that the rangers have chosen this uh, mission of keeping these villages safe from harms that they have no idea exist. Mm -hmm. And they've been protecting them for ages um, while they have been, um, you know, uh, waiting for the time of, of their mission um, when the sword that was broken will be reforged and, um, and the king uh, will return, Elendil's son, uh, Aragorn. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. For me, it's, it's, um, it's don't judge the book by the cover. And, um, and for those who might feel like their co- they the cover they have in their lives is a bit uh, um, unattractive. That no, you know what? There's gold. You are gold, and you know there is a purpose and a mission that the Lord has for you that you might feel like is hidden from the eyes of the world, um, or it, it is hidden from the eyes of the world. But you have such a part to play. So I love the figure of Aragorn. He's one of my favorite characters in the whole book. Yeah, me too. I really like him. Yeah. Um, so is there a quote that you, why don't you, why don't you pick out a quote? I love, let me find it. I wonder if it'd be faster if I. I bet I already know what it is. What do you think it is? It's about I think, Frodo when I think... he's told about the ring. That's one of them, but that's not the one I was going to say. Okay, go ahead. Um, this is when... I'm trying to think of what part of the book this is in. I don't... Oh, it's when they're blindfolded after leaving on the way to Lorien. To Lothlorien, yeah. Lothlorien. They're blindfolded and they're walking. Right. Number one, love that they all get blindfolded. Um, but it's while they're walking. I don't remember who says it, but I could find it. But it says the world is indeed full of peril and in it there are many dark places. But still there is much that is fair. And though in all lands, love is now mingled with grief. It grows perhaps the greater. I love that. That's beautiful. Why do you love it? I don't even know if I could quite explain it. I feel like it speaks for itself. Say it one more time. The world is indeed full of peril and in it, there are many dark places, but still there is much that is fair. And though in all lands, love is now mingled with grief. It grows perhaps the greater. I think the book kind of goes back and forth between really intense really dark, really scary people dying. And then it goes to these moments of peace and tranquility and Garden of Eden uh, situations. And yeah, I think that's pretty, pretty relatable to life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And actually, I think that is, um, I love the point that you're making. And I would say it this way, that um, redemption that um, when bad things happen, when people sin, um, God's will is done or God does something greater. When God's will is done or God does something greater. And so uh, God's will uh, is, when God's will is done in the life of Adam and Eve, something beautiful and glorious happens. But through the fall, God does something greater. He becomes man and raises us to children of God. And so if we can know that, that, um, even though now love is mingled with grief, it perhaps grows the greater because we get to show a display of love that we wouldn't otherwise, that love is self-sacrificial, love is willing to suffer, love is willing to uh, endure even when um, it's facing tremendous darkness and trials and even betrayals. Yeah, great way of saying it. <laughs> 
that's that's what I took from it. And she's uh, Galadriel is the uh, the queen of the woods of the of the of the golden woods, and it's it's really neat because even some of the good guys um, have only heard of her, and they're fearful of her because they, they don't have the ability to control her kind of power, and so mm-hmm. she becomes a threat, and even um, p- potentially considered a, a figure that is dangerous um, in in a dark way. And, um, and so the, just that whole idea of, um, when something is foreign to us, we tend to want to keep it at arm's length as, as something that is dangerous and, and, uh, something maybe we don't want to get to know better. So, um, all right, guys, we're up against another break, believe it or not. And so this will be our last break. And then when we come back, we will continue talking about the Lord of the Rings and just drawing some inspiration from that for our lives of faith today on Sound Insight. Back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern with my daughter, Mary Grace. If you're enjoying this program, please go to mycatholicfaith.org, mycatholicfaith.org, mycatholicfaith.org. You can sign up for the podcast version of this program on Apple Podcasts right there from the website, mycatholicfaith.org. Click on the button. You also have free downloads available, um, digital resources, uh, eBooks, as well as videos and, and audio series on a variety of things to help you in your spiritual life. Uh, you know, way back when, Mary Grace, maybe 15, even longer, 20 years ago, I did a workshop on the Lord of the Rings and the um, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, well, and talked I, to- well, I, I knew you did one on Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, it was that whole big book is all marked up. Yeah. So it was uh, uh, the workshop was when they were coming out with the movies. So as these movies are coming out, I'm like, oh, let me do uh, a workshop that draws out the spiritual themes um, of these books. Of course, I can't find it now. It was recorded on cassette. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's how long ago it was Mary Grace. Do you know what a cassette is? So, yes. <laughs> you know what a cassette is. Um, so, all right, um, Mary Grace, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it back to you and I'm going to ask you, is there another quote that you enjoyed from the Fellowship of the Ring? And I just think that as you're looking up the quote, I just love that um, books like this can feed our souls. They can feed our souls. They can form us not only at a human level, but they can help stir in us insights into the spiritual life as well. Yeah, I think I'll read the one that you thought I was going to read because this one's so good. Um, it's when Frodo's... Uh, trying to decide whether to go or not, even though he knows that he like basically has to go. Um, he says, I wish it need not have happened in my time. And Gandalf says, so do I. And so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. All that we have to do is to, all we have to do is to decide what to do with the time that is given to us. That's it. That is, that is so powerful to me. So why did you like it? Uh, Cause I relate to it. That's how I feel. I'm like, this is not an awesome time to be living in, <laughs> but also I think anyone would think that in any time. Because I think it's easy to see the only see the good in other times and say, well, they didn't have to deal with this. And it's like, uh, if you live on the earth at any time, it's not going to be amazing. (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting because I grew up, um, I grew up, let's say I was born in 64. So I don't remember the the sexual revolution. I don't remember um, the, sort of the uh, revolutionary spirit of the early seventies. I don't remember Vietnam. Um, so when I reached an age of like of things that I could remember, say seventh, eighth grade, thinking back, the only thing that was like dawning in the background of my mind was the idea of nuclear war, that that could be a threat, right? There was the iron curtain. There was the great threat of communism spreading. And I can remember maps and showing how countries were becoming communist. And it was this dread of the, of the spread of communism around the world. And, and then um, Ronald Reagan became president and there was this sort of standoff with Russia and what was going to happen there. 
Um, so someone going to hit the button and nuclear annihilation, but it was very background, right? I could just basically live my day-to-day life, really not impacted by it. It was just sort of really in the background. And when I was your age, life was really good. You know, life was um, very rich and abundant and there weren't, you know, uh, the kinds of things that so many people experience now. And I had this sense to say, gosh, why did I get to live in such, you know, easy times? You know, it was the, yeah. it was the time of John Paul II and Mother Teresa. And so the Catholic Church was growing and it was very exciting. And then the, the, the Iron Curtain fell, the Berlin Wall fell. And, and, and all of a sudden, democracy seems to be running, you know. And it was just like, wow, this is a great time to be alive. And then all of a sudden you had Persian Gulf War and, and, and other things started happening. But I was an adult by then. So I, I think I got to live in a kind of a golden age of this. Things weren't that bad. Um, yeah. I mean, relatively, I've pretty much I feel like I've lived in the golden age. Like my life doesn't feel very scary or hard right now. But I know live on the outskirts life. of Portland after experiencing COVID. And <laughs> that's and the, the crazy thing. COVID hasn't really impacted me. Like there's a ton of people who are depressed and suicidal and anxious and all this stuff because of it. But you know what? I got Jesus. (laughs) Amen. Uh, Well, and you talk about a gift, right? Uh, We don't get to decide the time we live in, but we do get to decide what to do with that time. And I think that this one of the gifts of COVID is that it strips away a lot of the veneer of things that distract our attention and it would be just easy to get lost in. And a lot of those things have been taken away from lots of people. And so again, I I hope for a recovery of faith, a revival of faith, a deepening of faith and a commitment that says, I do believe in God. I do believe in the Lord. I do believe that life here on earth is a gift from the Lord and we are to honor and glorify him while we're here in order to be able to join him forever in heaven uh, with the life of um, with the life that he has in store for us. But uh, it means living well here. It means living well here. And I think that that's one of the, that's one of the realities that um, I, I think for, for some, it has definitely intensified my goodness. If I'm going to do this, I have to be all in. I can, there are no half measures. I, I call this a, a moment of no half measures. If you do try to live half measures, your faith will be swept away, but you've got to go all in if you want to live and live in, live as an ordinary believer. Yeah. So that's a, that's a great word. <laughs> what's that? No half measures. Yeah. All of it. I feel like half measures is worse than no measures. <laughs> it's uh, lukewarm, right? Uh, Jesus and the church of Laodicea in revelation three that the lukewarm have uh, the Lord spews them out of his mouth because it's like be hot or cold, right? Be, a, be according to your flavor, right? If you're iced tea, be cold. If you're a hot coffee, be hot, but don't be lukewarm. That just, no one wants that. So, yeah. Well, Mary Grace, believe it or not, we're up against the end of our program. And so I want to appreciate uh, you saying yes and, and joining me here. And um, I thank you all for listening. Pray God's blessings on your day and join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.